am recording as well. So you are the kickoff, so whenever you're ready. All right. All right. Your sword strikes true, and you land the killing blow on the orc. He screams as he falls to the ground dead. The other orc looks at your, in your direction, fury in his eyes for killing his brother. Yes. How much experience do I get? Uh, well, there, there's still the other orc. Yeah, 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 but, but I've only got 30 experience until I get my level. How much experience do I get? I've already told you we don't give out experience until you've had time to reflect and rest. The other orc is looking at you. What do you want to do? Well, I guess I'll sit down. Don't do it. And reflect and rest. <sighs> This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about leveling up your characters. Hey everyone, this is John. And Danielle. And we're talking about leveling up, but but maybe not in a way that uh, that maybe you think of when we think about leveling up. So let's talk a little bit about what exactly it is that we mean. And I, I think the first thing is is talking about different options for how um, how players gain the things they need to do to be able to level up. So I know that most people think of experience as as, uh, as kind of that D&D thing, but there's, there's several other ways to do it. We'll talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Also, the different ways that players advance those levels when they meet the requirements. You know, like when does this level happen? Is it just bestowed upon them? Or, you know, where's that all coming from? Lights come down from the heavens. And <laughs> <laughs> you feel slightly smarter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's kind of get things uh, kicked off and talk a little bit about uh, how you as the DM can decide when players are ready to level up, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the status quo is experience. I think that's kind of the way that the book pretty much goes for it is uh, just experience. Um, you get points when you kill a thing. You get this many points because it was this hard of a thing and you're this level. And those are your points. You need this many to get to your next level. And that's kind of how it's all laid out in a very math-intensive type way. <laughs> you can run around the sewers and kill rats all day long to get to level five. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean that that does kind of kind of hint into what what my next point about this is is that if you just do it the way that the way that um, a lot of people do, where you get experience for killing these things and and that's how you level up, it can really encourage um, uh, murder hoboing and mm. and just like. Uh, well, we encountered this thing on the road. Let's kill it. I don't even have to talk to it. We're going to kill it because I need the experience or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but there are a couple of ways that that um, that you can look to uh, to avoid that experience, right? Oh, most definitely. There's you don't want to the way. There's three different types of encounters, essentially, that you can run into. There are combat encounters. Everybody's quite mm-hmm. familiar with those. Um, but there's also two others that that should also gain you experience, in my opinion. You have your role-playing encounters, as well as your what's what's 
termed as exploration encounters. So with role-playing encounters, when you approach a situation, rather, if you don't want your party to just be, you know, murder-hoboing about your town, if they know that they can earn experience by successfully convincing somebody to, you know, help them or hinder someone else or give them something, lead them somewhere. There's lots of different ways that your players can engage with the world, with your NPCs that could gain them experience. You can set DCs for these things too. It's like Tom the Barbarian Barber has a DC of 20 for you to convince him to, you know, give you a haircut. Not that easy, but... (laughs) (laughs) But you can apply DCs and they can have challenge ratings and they can be encounters all on their own. And I mean, in addition to that, when you have an encounter that would typically be thought of as a combat encounter, you you encounter a, a band of goblins on the road or, or whatever, uh, don't just... In, in my mind, don't just treat that as combat is the only way forward here and they only get experience if they engage in combat and fight these enemies. Because savvy players could do things like try to negotiate with the goblins to let them pass or or take a different route to avoid a, a force that is uh, maybe too much for them to handle that they, they feel. Uh, and... and Having those encounters also provide experience, even if they don't engage in combat, I think will help as well. Mm -hmm. And it's important that your players know that they can get experience in ways other than slaughtering um, everything that you make. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think part of that also kind of boils down to one thing I always try to tell players in my game is... Just because you have an encounter in front of you does not mean that you have to engage in it. Does not mean you have to fight it. Um, you can. I that I, I I try to make sure that they're aware. There will be encounters that are beyond the skill of your characters because you are in a living, breathing world. It's not like you're level two, so every encounter you experience is going to be a level two encounter. <laughs> you know, and, I've said that a million times, and I still never had anybody run away. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it 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 definitely takes a mental adjustment on the player's part, and I will say that there have been several occasions where where they've gotten themselves into trouble as a result of not paying attention to that. But there have been times where they've been like, "Hold on, hold on, hold on, we're getting our butts kicked. Let's we're gonna we're gonna surrender." <laughs> yeah. So that's that's probably as close as I've gotten. Um, but it, it, again, it depends on your players, but <laughs> as long as you kind of preface that and say, you can still get experience by, by doing things other than combat in these encounters, it hopefully will help some, but it, it really get, depends on the players there. Oh, for sure. And then as the third type of encounter that I was talking about before was, uh, they're called exploration encounters. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially you can just interpret that as a task, any kind of task. So, the puzzles that you'll put into your game, the um, you know pickup and delivery—they're not actually killing anything. They're not—they're not doing any role playing. It's just—it's mm-hmm. like its own little quest, um, lock picking, <clears throat> any sort of skill check, um, dangerous type thing or or difficult thing to do can come with experience. Yep. And yeah, for those of you that have, have listened to the show for a little while, you'll recall when we talked about um, dealing with fighters, about having um, 
having those strength-based challenges that aren't necessarily fighting, like maybe an arm wrestling contest or something like that, if they decide to take part in something like that, you could you could kind of figure out a an experience amount to assign for that that task, winning the winning the arm wrestling thing or something like that. Oh, absolutely! It gives them gives them experience, and it's it's also fun, you know. It's yep. And the more that you, the more that you can award experience for things that aren't combat, like if you're trying to curb a party that's maybe a little bit more murder hoboey than you would like, um, <laughs> trying to work in other ways to get experience, letting them know that they're getting experience for this stuff, uh, it can really help to mitigate what's kind of going on there. Yeah, I was going to say the the big thing is if you're going that route to try and mitigate, make sure that they know why they're getting this experience. So I know that that with a lot of games that I've been in, the experience comes later on in the game. But the the DM that I that I've been playing with, he'll break it out and be like, "All right, here's the combat experience you got. Here's the role playing experience you got." And the first time he did that, I wasn't expecting it to happen, but it came up and was like, oh, hey, awesome. I got rewarded for some of that, something I'll keep on trying to do. Mm-hmm. That's I, I really like that idea. I've never done that one. I just try to make a note during game. So I'll give them some sort of interesting bonus, like when I'm trying to get this idea across. <clears throat> so if they succeed at a, a role-playing encounter, um, a you know, trying to barter for something. I'll say, awesome, you succeeded at your task, so you'll get your experience for that, but you also get advantage on your next bartering roll or something like that. And so I just kind of, I put it in there and then follow it up with a reward. So you're just like hanging a carrot in front of them. It's like, here's your carrot, come get it. Yep. Reinforce it right when it happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're reinforcing the behavior that is good. Good for them, good for the game, good for you. Yep. Um, Now... If you if you are going to go the um, XP experience points route uh, for your game, you do need to understand how you as the DM are going to distribute experience. And this may seem for for some of you listening may seem like, well, why why do I even need to know here? I I just do it this way, um, and and that may be the only way that you've thought of doing it. But there are a few different ways I've seen uh, dungeon masters kind of distribute experience. Um, one of which is just to kind of have an even distribution of experience where the party all engaged in this thing. So the party all evenly gets a split of it. And I think for the collaborative nature of the game, that makes a lot of sense because you've got, you've got um, characters that are more built towards support or more built towards handling those role play counters or more built towards combat. And so if you just focused on, hey, who did Bill kill? Uh, <laughs> um, it may make it very slanted one way or the other. It can definitely slant everything towards your fighting characters because it's not like your bard is going to be the guy, you know, dropping goblins with his loot constantly. Um, and so he could end up or your bard, I suppose, could end up suffering in the experience department if you're only awarding based off of, you know, certain things and you're not just... Cause awarding it as a group because your bard is there. They're they're playing their loot and they're helping the, the fighter, you know, get some better roles and stuff like that. And so they're still participating um, mm. as, as part of the party. And so it makes things a lot more even. Yep. And I, I've seen, as I mentioned earlier, I've seen some that will, um, they will do some even distribution, but they'll also weight other things based upon 
um, player contribution. Um, so as I mentioned in Malcolm's game, he does a, a role-playing uh, portion of experience. And so that's really based upon how you role-played your character. And it doesn't even matter if you have poor um poor statistics for what would be normal role-playing encounters, as long as you are playing your character in a way that, that your character is, like what's your character's personality and stuff, then then you would be able to get points that way. Oh, absolutely. And you, they're, having people role-play their characters um, really helps them bring them into the game themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh especially when they already have a fun character. But some people, if you're not encouraging role-playing in the character aspect, then some people who might even want to do it might be shying away from it. And so awarding bonus experience for people who are role-playing effectively can actually help bring some of the other people at your table possibly out of their shells, bring them more into the fold. Yeah, but bear in mind the the players that you have at your table, there may be some people that just cannot get past this mental block of <laughs> role-playing, and they're just going to tell you what their character does, and, and that's it, and that's all they're going to be able to do. So if you have people at your table like that, keep them in mind so that you're not advancing the entire party beyond them at a much faster rate simply because they just can't get into this mental mindset for some reason. If everybody at the table is interested in getting into that type of game, absolutely do this because that will encourage everybody to to really stay in character and and move the ball forward uh, with with regards to role play. Oh, absolutely. You got to be you definitely have to watch out for those people who really they like the game they love the game but they're not really into the role-playing thing and so like you said you can accidentally start to advance some of the other party members faster than them and so you'd either want to curb the amount of experience you're giving or possibly come up with some other way to award that particular character more experience if they're good at something maybe throw in a couple more of those instances um i've seen some where not many, but a couple of campaigns where they award bonus experience for the killing stroke of like a, mm. uh, a baddie or whatever. But again, you can get yourself, this falls back to what I said previously about <clears throat> your bard running around with his loot smashing in goblin heads. <laughs> is <laughs> It's usually not going to be, um, you know, your bards and your healers and stuff like that who are getting the final kills. And so that will predominantly just cause your hand-to-hand combat fighters or ranged, I guess, anybody who can act, who's actually hitting them, um, it gives them an unfair advantage on gaining more experience. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a, a cleric who is using his his skills to buff the party, uh, so to speak, give them advantages on rolls and stuff like that, he's not actively engaged in combat, but he's enabling the rest of the party to be engaged in combat. So there's just keep that stuff in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're still they're still there. There's well, they're a support character. That's why they're supporting everything. If your house didn't have supports in it, well, it doesn't matter if it gets the killing blow. <laughs> well, I, I think we lost that one there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I just I just as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, it would just fall on me. Um, <laughs> another way that you can uh, do experience is gold based. Yeah, I. I kind of, um, I had forgotten about this. So back in the original D&D, the Red Box set, 
within the rules, it actually says that um, it uses gold as a way for for players to gain experience. So the, the levels are still done by experience, but in addition to getting experience from things like killing monsters, you also get experience for the gold value of loot that you get um, from your adventures. So if you get 100 gold pieces worth of jewels or whatever, hey, you got 100 experience for that. Um, it, it, I, I completely forgotten about this until I was researching for this episode, and I was like, I wonder what they did back then. And right there in... Uh, in the uh, in the uh, handbook, the player's handbook, uh, <laughs> it, it explained that. So, you know, I, this is also my first time hearing about this, and the more I think about it, it could potentially kind of slow down your campaign because I could see if your players know that the more loot that they find, the faster they level, they are going to scour every corner, every inch <laughs> of any place that you put them, which is good because then they'll find all the things that you actually put in there. Um, but it could actually cause stuff to drag a bit. Yeah. Oh, hold on. We got to get that dagger from him. Yeah, I know it's not worth much, but every experience point counts. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd all be running around with bags of holding. And I'm going to steal all the candela- candelabras and I'm going to steal all. They would actually just steal a lot, I think, is what yeah. it would turn into. <laughs> it's a lot of thievery. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it, with that in mind, I feel like there's some alternate options that you can do if you wanted to have gold um, play a part in in the leveling. Um, and one of those could be, so uh, in the in the original rules, it was basically you got experience for any gold worth of treasure you got, whether or not you sold it. It was just like, hey, I got this, so I got experience. So rather than doing that, I would I would say that you could do a uh, where they have to trade gold for experience um, and and uh, uh, man my brain just stopped working so so that gold once it's used for experience is gone so this could be kind of like hiring a trainer uh, you're using that gold to hire a trainer if you wanted to have some sort of back-end mechanic that makes it logically make sense something like that Mm-hmm. And then it also gives if 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 all their levels are tied to gold, it gives you a lot of control over how they're going to level because you can just make gold more scarce. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, you only found ten GP. You know, <laughs> you're nowhere close to leveling, <clears throat> and it uh, it definitely would put a lot more leveling power into your hands. Not that the DM doesn't already have leveling power, since you're choosing all of the encounters to begin with. For the most part. Anyways, I was going to say that you can also scale the amount of gold required per level two, like for an additional just uh, measure of control is the same amount of gold for level one, obviously will probably be different than level 20. And if they don't see the chart, then they don't know. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that you can do is if you, again, if you wanted to have gold be to play some part in leveling, you could have there be an experience requirement and then there also be a a gold requirement so you get your experience regular but then you have to you have to again hire a trainer or or pay dues to the adventurers guild or whatever to to actually be able to go up that level and um we so Darkwind is a sponsor of the show and, and it's kind of like online RPG kind of stuff. And part of their leveling on there actually has a, an experience piece and a gold piece. And 
at lower levels, the gold is really easy, but the experience is a little harder. But as you get higher and higher levels, the experience becomes really easy, but the gold becomes harder. So it's a nice little, a, a little bit of an inverse there. Um, so interesting stuff. That is interesting. And uh, I assume that you can steal things in Darkwind. <laughs> so you can try to build up your gold, <laughs> go for a level. Yeah, I mean, most of the most of it's going to be done typically through adventuring, killing things, selling their stuff, getting gold from the corpses, stuff like that. Um, they There are... Um, there is a thieves guild, so if you're part of the thieves guild, it's like being being a, th- uh, a rogue class. Um, you do have the ability to do some stealing, uh, but if you're if you're not in that guild, then you would you would pretty much be resorted to to killing and selling kind of thing. You know, mentioning mentioning the stealing and the rogues brings up uh, an interesting point. Is I've had a decent amount of generally rogues who will find gold or treasure in a, in a situation. And they'll pocket it. They've got the sleight of hand to do it. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you're awarding experience strictly based off of gold found, um, somebody with a really high sleight of hand can really mess up your game. Or at least the, yeah. the distribution and balance of your game. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's there's definitely some things to consider when you, when you talk about... Uh, about using gold as a mechanism for leveling and and it kind of goes back to the same thing we talked about with experience do you um do you basically distribute that gold uh evenly and say even if even if uh joey the rogue found it that uh that it still counts towards the party goals or do you let the or or do you let whoever found it keep it or do you let the party decide how to distribute that loot um and i mean I don't use gold as a leveling mechanism in my game, but I, I let the party decide overall how they handle loot and I keep my hands out of it. So <laughs> <laughs> It's usually safer to just let them kind of deal with it on their own unless somebody's taking way too much uh, control over it. Yeah. Um, the, the last thing I, I think we should mention about gold is this could actually be an interesting way to enhance the overall uh, economy uh, because they're having to use gold for, for levels, however you're doing it. Um, you could, it could add a layer of, of scarcity. It could, um, it could uh, make things more hard to come by. It could honestly affect how they perform as far as being able to afford things like healing potions. Like, do I have, do I buy the healing potion or do I save up for the level? So it can add in a level of decision-making to the players that you probably don't currently have. It's just a matter if it's right for your game or not. Mm-hmm. It is, it is a really interesting idea. I like it. I'm going to put a little bit more thought into it. Um, cause I could, I definitely see some value there. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. 
Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. The other way that you can award levels is through milestones, um, <clears throat> which is rather than experience points or the gold point system, is allowing players to level based on achieving milestones in your story. So you've got you've got different story plots in your in your arc, right? And so they have to defeat a nemesis. They can complete different story arcs um, at whatever schedule you want. Really, you like because you know roughly how long this story arc is going to take you know and you know eh, we'll have this much in there and then they'll they'll gain a level and that's that's milestone leveling yeah and and the 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 thing about milestone leveling is as the dm you can kind of really define it exactly how you want you don't necessarily have to worry about oh, I didn't expect them to be level six at this point, or I was really expecting them to be level 10 by now, and they're not. Ah, I must have misplanned it. Um, You can really kind of define that for yourself. And you had uh, an additional way to do milestone leveling that that hasn't been mentioned yet, which is like defining a nemesis, completing a story arc, all that stuff. You want to tell us about uh, how you kind of implemented Milestone? The way that I implement milestones is I've got a general idea about what my my story is, right? And so I break my story into its respective arcs. And then per arc, or per level, I guess, per level, I know that at the end of this level, they're going to have completed, say, one hard encounter, or one very hard encounter, one hard encounter, three mediums and six easy to moderate encounters. And so I break everything into nice little bite-sized level chunks, which is helpful for me with my planning of the campaign is because, number one, I know exactly when they're going to level. And number two, it helps remind me to keep things interesting, keep things moving, it, because I've already got... I know how difficult their encounters are going to be, what they're kind of going to run into. And it also helps me keep track on if I may be being a little bit too easy on my players or maybe a little bit too hard because they they really can't survive too many very hard encounters in a row. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that... um, So I I use Milestone as well. I I will say I'm not... um, very regimented with how I do it. I have in my mind an idea of some larger encounters that I think that the players will probably end up having. And I have a a rough target of what level I think they should be for those encounters. And then as they uh, as they accomplish smaller objectives within the within the uh within the story um whether it's an objective that i made up or whether it's an objective that their actions caused me to have to make up on the fly um i'll I'll keep in mind with uh how close they are to those larger things which i'm pretty sure they're going to encounter and choose when to level appropriately so for me it's a little bit more ad hoc um looking at where we're at in the story looking at where we need where we're going in the story and looking what major encounters are coming up to make sure that they're they're appropriately leveled for those encounters because as i said before my my world doesn't necessarily have leveled for them but 
when we're talking about major story points, I, I do try to keep that in line where it makes sense. And that's the best part about milestone leveling is you know exactly where they're going to be when they get to, you know, a certain fight where it's like, well, if they're not level six by the time that they get here, they're probably going to die. <laughs> so it, yeah. it gives you that ability to control and plan. And one of the best benefits, my favorite benefit of milestone experience is that you don't have to track experience. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's it, those numbers that that can get to be a lot of math when you do that. You know, it's like we've got four level fours, two level fives. They fought of this. That means X amount for you and X amount for you and the amount of math. And that's just for like one encounter. And you have to do how many per level. And it's just nonstop, nonstop math. <laughs> With with yeah. the milestone-based experience, then it's just like, okay, they have to do seven encounters. Once they're done those, they get a level. It's so much easier. Yeah, and, and the other thing that you can avoid in addition to the map, map, the math is that um, you don't have players that are always asking, well, how much experience did I get? I mean, the, the, the skit that we did at the beginning of this, while it was on kind of that extreme level... Uh, of that, I've been in games where after every single encounter, players said, how much experience did we get? And as soon as they got the experience that they needed for a level, they're like, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna level now. And so like the game would stop at that point while they did all the stuff that they needed for their level. And and yeah, that that's something that that as the DM, you could say, we don't give out experience until this point and, and this and this and that. But if you are up front and say, we do milestone leveling, I'll tell you when you level, then you never get the question of how much experience did we get. <laughs> it also helps take a lot of players' focus away from that because I, mm-hmm. I, I only ever did one game where we did experience all the time. And it seems, or it seemed to me, that a lot of players became borderline obsessed with with the experience. And they and it the problem was is that it takes them out of the game right? They're less immersed in the game because they're too worried about the piece of paper in front of them. And they're not really just letting themselves get lost in the experience and having fun and engaging with the game. They're they're worried about, you know, adding these numbers on their page and maybe leveling. And like you said, worst case scenario, popping open a book and starting to level in the middle of session. Because some people are not as fast at leveling as other people, especially yeah. casters when they're picking spells. And that can, yep. that can put a big drag in the middle of a game yeah but let's be honest milestone is not all uh all rainbows and unicorns it's not completely (laughs) perfect because um because there are some things that you do need to consider before you go this route um one it, it which should probably be top of mind is that based upon the the pace that you as the dm decide for for the leveling for these milestones you could potentially frustrate players because they, especially with more experienced players who are used to experience, they're used to leveling at, at kind of a, a a rough pace based upon killing the enemies that they've been killing. So especially if they're experienced, they'll know like, oh, I killed some kobolds. That means that I'm this close to leveling or whatever. <laughs> and so when you don't hit those those targets that they feel that they should be hitting, they can get frustrated and and sometimes it if you're so if you're going this route sometimes it helps to uh, to have that conversation and be like all right well you guys are about about halfway to leveling or something like that just to Mm -hmm. have them have some sort of uh benchmark that they can understand where they're at 
if they if they are getting frustrated, a lot of players they they won't mind. They'll they'll trust you, and everything will be fine, though. Yeah, give them a little bit of hope. The other thing that I've run into is is I set up okay, they're going to level at the end of this milestone, and for some reason or another, the party keeps getting sidetracked and wandering here and wandering there, and it mm-hmm. takes them so excruciatingly long to get to that <laughs> milestone. <laughs> Like way longer than it ever should have, but that can also cause it to drag too. Um, you got to be, and I, I personally haven't even found a solution for that yet. Well, that's that's where I've kind of basically done a little bit more ad hoc with with how the milestones appear. So if they take a sidetrack and and they accomplish some sort of side quest mission, mm-hmm. that that will count towards a milestone. It may not be a full milestone and it may be where like the, the milestone I had originally thought they were going to hit comes sooner as a result. Um, they, Mm. they accomplish some other smaller milestone on the, the main adventure path. But I, that's what I'll try to do. I'll try to, to understand that they've, they've made progress here. They've accomplished something here. So that while it may not be a full milestone, it'll be a partial. So the other problem with milestones, though, is uh, so you've got all these people who are accomplishing things. What about mm-hmm. people who are absent for several sessions? So you have a character who um, is rolling with the party, and currently they're all the same level, but they haven't been here for the last three days. They missed the entire fight where we you know, raided the goblin camp, um, which was the next milestone, for let's say, and they weren't mm-hmm. part of it at all. You know, And then how do you... How do you manage leveling on a milestone base? Because if you start giving all your players different levels, right? So it's like, well, Tom hasn't been here in, in four sessions, so he's still level four. Everybody else is level five. But then it gets a lot harder to track um, for the DM, especially like with your CRs for monsters and fight ratings. Yep. And I mean, generally speaking, how I've handled some of this in the past is if if the players miss one session, I typically don't don't nothing changes. They they continue on the milestone with everybody else, and and we just do it like that because they were a part of everything that came up to that milestone. So they accomplished all of that stuff, except for maybe that fight. Um, and there there's going to be people out there that say no 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 they shouldn't do that because they didn't they didn't actually participate in that fight, but. For me, just for ease of implementation, that's the way I've done it. Now, if they got to the point where they were missing three sessions in a row, um, first off, I would I would have a conversation with them about, hey, are you really still interested in playing this game because you've missed three sessions now? Uh, and then beyond that, I would have to I, I would have to figure out. I, fortunately, I have not been in a situation where that's happened, but I would probably hold them back if if they missed that many. Which also poses another risk, right? Because if you have somebody who's, say, their life has just gotten so busy for a little bit that they couldn't and they can't and and your entire party says, well, no, they haven't helped at all, they shouldn't level up with us. But if you start causing gaps and stuff in your party, you could cause um, the, the party member who's not advancing with everybody else, you could cause them to quit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that can that in and of itself can be a rather negative experience, you know, watching everybody else go and and it's not your fault you couldn't have attended, um, but you kind of get it because you weren't there. But now everybody's cooler than you, 
I define all higher levels as cooler. You're so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and as it, you watch everybody else progress, and that can be kind of like disheartening, knowing that you're the weakest, you are the weakest link. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the ways that you can kind of sort of help avoid this is to have each um, each character have their own personal arc with their own personal milestones. And again, this don't ta- don't undertake this lightly because this is definitely extra work for you as the GM. Um, but if you are able to incorporate their backstory and have things that they are looking to accomplish, their characters looking to accomplish their their reason to live, the reason d'etre or whatever, uh, you can you can have those uh, incorporate into being milestones and. In that way, the um, the main story arc may not play as much into them leveling. Yes, the main story arc is important because it's the story and moving forward and everything, but also taking into account the things that the pl- that the character wants to accomplish might might be a way to to resolve that. Yeah, and that's that's a super interesting idea because then you can even if you have somebody who's missed a couple sessions, you can kind of play into their arc knowing that you're kind of doing it based on personal arcs you can play into their arc and bring up scenarios where they can you know benefit or make a difference make a change and help them to keep up with the rest of the party while still tying everything in with the story and not making anybody feel like you're railroading and making everything smooth nice nice and smooth i said that backwards Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, just to reiterate proceed with caution because this yeah. this will require more effort on your side as the dm but it can also really get your players more invested in the game because you've got these specific things that are focused on the the backstory that they've put together into their character so mm-hmm. it's it's a challenge but it can also be pretty rewarding and also make sure that uh, you have a your your party members are actually interested in that because i've got a a fair number of players who I've I've never seen them write a character backstory ever. <laughs> yep. You know, and so this this idea would not work for them because they don't have a personal arc. They have a sword. That's what they've got, and that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, and I I have some care some players like that, and some of them I've actually they've given me like one or two sentence of backstory and I've just gone with it and expanded that and be like, Oh, well you were in the military. Well, this is the guy that was in the military that was harassing you all the time. And he was your nemesis and (laughs) stuff like that. (laughs) But again, they have to be, they have to be into it. Luckily this guy was into it. Yeah. Um, for sure. So let's talk about, we've talked about how you, um, award levels but let's talk about the the mechanics of the players actually leveling their characters when does it happen how does it happen things like that and and i think that uh this this can play a part into some of the pacing discussion as well because how you allow them to do this can mean um can determine whether or not they immediately level or they have to spend some time or or what or they have to sit down and rest while the orc is staring at them. <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> um, and and I think that the, the first way that you can do this is is you can say, all right, players level immediately on achieving the necessary experience or milestone or or whatever. Um, and 
I mean, by doing it this way, you don't have to worry about like any sort of predefined rules. You just like whenever you hit it, you hit it and and we're good, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something like a little bit glorious when you're doing your campaign and and your party has worked for the last however many sessions trying to get this this crystal up to the top of this mountain. They set it down and, you, you know, you tell them all and you put it down and everyone gains a level and then everybody's super pumped. It, it kind of makes the whole moment just a little bit more special. Mm-hmm. And so that but- can be fun. But at the same time, as we mentioned before, it can cause the game to grind to a halt because if you allow them to immediately level up, you can basically have everybody be like, oh, I want to go look at the book. What's the new cool things I can do? And, and oh, I get to pick feats. And, oh, look at this ability score adjustment. Which one am I going to do? Oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and it can it can really cause the game just to be basically, all right, I guess we're done. (laughs) Yeah. It can pretty much just end a session. Levels can end a session, (laughs) especially at higher levels, like maybe going from level one to two. Well, that doesn't actually take that long, but Mm -hmm. if you've got somebody leveling from like level 10 to level 11, yeah, there's going to be a significant time gap for how long it's going to take them to, you know, actually level their entire character. Yeah, so what I actually do in my games is kind of like a modified immediately. So I will tell them at the end of a session that they leveled. So it's it's immediate in that they don't have to do anything else to get there, but wait for the end of the session. And then before the next session, they can do all of their character building crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it doesn't interrupt the table. Yep. Uh, another way that I've seen is requiring a long rest. Mm-hmm. So it means you can't level in the middle of action as the skip before where he just sits down, um, but you have to be in a resting moment. And story-wise, you can tie that in by saying that, you know, they're resting and reflecting on what they've learned and to reach a higher level of understanding. Yeah, and this is um, in the game that I play with with Malcolm. This is how he typically addresses it. You have to you have to have a, a long rest to do it and uh, and just goes from there. Um, and, and for, for that game, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but if you, if you wanted to take it a little bit further than just a, a long rest, you can require them to be out of hostile territory or maybe even in a town to rest, uh, because, um, it, it, it it's, it's like having a long rest, but there's a little bit more of a burden because, the the logic behind it is if you're in that hostile territory, you might not actually have the time to reflect and 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 think on it because somebody may just like attack you in the middle of the night while you're reflecting and then all your reflection is gone (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's it's like having a milestone in a way because you they have to get to a place to make the thing happen right and so it's kind of like its own milestone uh but you can use it with any of the leveling schemes above it's like just because they've hit the gold requirement or they've hit the xp requirement or they've achieved a milestone they still need to get back out of hostile territory to a nice safe spot where you know nobody's going to be attacking them while they're reflecting and uh, they can do their level at that point and you can still provide them information that hey once you get to this once you get outside of hostile area and you can spend some time, you'll be able to level so that it's not this kind of guessing game of, well, do we get out of here so we can level? And then you get out of there and you don't level. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it'll let them know wh- what the status is so that they can kind of make plans accordingly. 
Mm -hmm. Another way that you can do it is having it so that they've achieved the benchmark of the level, but not actually gaining the level itself until they get some required training. So mm -hmm. you can have it so that they have to go and find, say, a master, like a sword master for a fighter. Um, and you have to go find the sword master to train you to gain your actual next level, which is which is really nice story wise, because if we're being honest, that's probably how you would officially level in real life right. is getting training um, or just a bunch of practice. Uh, but it can also cause that level to be delayed because if you're if they're stuck in a mountain, you know, and they've they've hit that benchmark, but they can't level until they finish this entire dungeon and they kill the boss and they walk all the way back to town carrying 50, you know, prisoners that they released. That's, you know, that's going to... The players are going to know that they're able to get a level, but not actually able to get a level. And I think that they might find that frustrating. I know I would find that frustrating. Yeah. So one of the things that you can do in that case is is to have it be more of a hybrid approach where you can, you can level up and get things like um, new hit points, um, um, stuff like that. But any sort of new skills may require... Uh, re may require a master. And uh, when I was playing Star Wars back in the 90s, um, one of the things that, that they had for like the minor Jedi character that you could play there, and I don't know if this was official rules or if this was my, my GM doing this, so we'll just we'll just say, who knows? <laughs> uh, but, but if you needed to go above a certain number of points in, in any of your force skills, you needed to have uh, a master that could could teach you so you part of it was like if you want to go that route you have to go and find a master you have to convince them to train you have to do this and that and the other uh, but you could still advance and put points into other skills if you wanted just not those those force skills for for again for star wars mm -hmm. i know D D did a type of that idea with 3.5 um with the like advanced classes, not your basic classes, but there was also there was always like this this prerequisite that you had to meet. You know, if you wanted to be an assassin, like that be your actual class, you had to go and actually join an assassin's guild. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, putting prerequisites in there um, to find well, essentially masters or trainers or people who have these skills that can teach you these skills. Um, I really like the idea from a story perspective. I've never done it myself. Because I, I feel like it would be very easy to, I guess, take it too far. And mm -hmm. then the entire game could just be, you know, everybody works from level one to level two. And then they spend all of their level two trying to get training for level two. And then they spend all of level three trying to get training for level two. And then all of level four <laughs> just adventuring to find all these different masters. And then they're not actually like doing a story plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, again, the the big thing here, keep in mind what 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 your players are going to get excited about, and if it makes sense to do this, absolutely do it. One of the things that you can do, again, this is kind of an additional burden on the DM, <laughs> is you could have um, little short one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions in between your big sessions. You could even do this via via text message or or Discord or something like that, where you're just exchanging text and doing play by post kind of thing. Um, you could have have that search for the master and, and stuff like that happen between the sessions as long as at the last session everybody was at a 
at a town and all decided to go and look for their look for their training master or whatever. Uh, but that that way you can have some some background filled in for the character that not everybody else knows because they've kind of gone off on the on their own to do this and and they have that that thing that kind of is special for them that uh, that the other players don't know about. Mm-hmm. Which is a really really interesting thing to do and it also gives you some nice one-on-one time with the players but like you said the unfortunate side of that is uh it is a, a, a another time commitment for the dungeon master more work to do yeah so if you're thinking about going that route you may think about it like as a uh, rather than an every every level thing you could have it be like every five levels you require training and Every five levels, that that master is going to tell you tell you how to apply your skills better and give you the the um, the actions that you need to take to try and learn for the next five levels. And then the next five levels, you need to find a different master that can do that. So you can still have that experience if you want it, while reducing your overall burden to have to do this. Mm-hmm. Plus, keep in mind if if your entire party is leveling at the same rate. So whether it happens every five levels or not, all of a sudden, if you've got five players at your table, you've got five side quests <laughs> that mm-hmm. you need to yep. you know, get covered. And that's, that's, that's a lot of time. It would be really interesting, and I think the players would really appreciate it. Um, but they, they generally seem to appreciate all the time and effort that the DMs put into their games, right? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um. The last thing on this uh, requiring a master, it could tie back to that needing gold for levels that we were talking about before. So if you wanted to implement um, some sort of gold requirement for your levels, having them have to to train with the master to finish up the level could be just that thing uh, where the more complex the skills, uh, in other words, the higher the level, the more it might cost to, to hire this master because they're more in demand, because they're they're more skilled, whatever. Um, so it, it's a way that if you wanted to implement some gold requirement, you could do that uh, because most masters aren't just going to be like, oh, well, hey, here's this stranger that walked up to my door. Sure, I'll train you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing anything for the next two weeks. Let's go. Yeah. So um, I think that's all that we were going to talk about today, unless you had anything else, Danielle. I don't think I do. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. And until next time, stay Stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.